Welcome to See Speak Minnesota, a podcast created by PNC Bank. I'm Jordana Green from WCCO Radio, and this is our inaugural episode. Welcome. It's called The Future of Healthcare, Innovating Through Pandemic and Beyond. My co-host today is Kate Kelly. Kate is the Regional President of PNC Bank Minnesota. Kate, great to hear you. Thank you, Jordana, and it's just great to be here with you and James today. Um, As you mentioned, I'm PNC's Regional President for Minnesota. Very quickly, PNC expanded into Minnesota in early 17. We've been busy building the market with clients and prospects, but my role, in addition to that, is also being a Main Street Bank and being the community leader in our efforts to be part of the fabric of our community. So we we see ourselves having three philanthropic pillars. The first is early education. PNC has their philanthropic initiative called Grow Up Great. And over the last 15 years, PNC has committed over 500 million to this effort. So here locally, we're following in line and we're having a niche in the early math arena, which has been very exciting. Our second pillar is really working with the arts as a vehicle to economic development. And our third is with women in leadership. So we've been very excited about all those efforts, but this is not something new. It's not something that we just are gonna start out with a bang. We see ourselves being here for the long haul. And we really wanna be that Main Street Bank and being a positive part of the fabric of this community. So thank you, Jordana. Well, welcome, Kate. It is a turbulent time here in Minnesota, and our next guest is going to tell us about healthcare is navigating through some of these turbulent times. We are joined by James Hereford. He is the president and CEO of Fairview Health Services. M Health Fairview hospitals and medical providers have been on the front lines during this global public health crisis. You know, there's a saying about how we should never let a crisis go to waste, and that's because from crisis often comes innovation. We've seen a lot from M Health Fairview during this time. Whether it's a, a giant plexiglass testing box or something as simple as nurses posting their pictures so patients can see the caregivers behind those masks. We know that M Health Fairview has been amongst the greatest innovators in our community. So James, one of the biggest impacts of COVID across the country has been the immediate move from in-person service delivery to methods that allow for less contact. That could be curbside or online. You know, we've seen it in restaurants, we've seen it in retail, and now, of course, we're seeing it in medicine. So can you talk about how the desire to reduce person-to-person contact has impacted your ability to deliver this critical medical care? Yes, I'd be happy to. Jordana, Kate, thank you for having me on today. It's an honor to be in the, uh, the first podcast. So I can't tell you how proud I am of our organization in terms of its response to this pandemic. Um, and you uh, called out a couple of facets of that that I think uh, I, I'd like to spend a little bit of time on. Uh, you know, first is uh, our caregivers. Uh, it has been uh, significant in terms of how they've risen to the occasion, uh, have been able to uh, adapt to very new circumstances in many ways, uh, and with great clinical outcomes. Uh, we've seen that uh, you know, our uh, mortality rate in our ICUs is half that that was experienced in, uh, whether it was Wuhan, China, or Seattle, or New York, or Lombardy, Italy. 
Um, so, you know, just their ability to manage this very complex disease that we knew so little about at the front end, and frankly, are still learning a great deal every day. But the innovations around, uh, you know, some, some things that, uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have thought of. How do you uh, conserve uh, protective equipment, PPE, and still manage to be able to provide care for patients when you need to have physical contact? So for testing, we still needed to make sure that we were connecting uh, physically with people. Uh, and uh, out of that came uh, a design uh, from the College of Engineering around this uh, quote-unquote phone booth that allows uh, caregivers not to have to don and doff PPE every time, but still be able to manage uh, testing or other uh, kinds of care that requires hands-on. Uh, immunizations is a nice example of that. The other thing that's been exciting has been the adoption of, uh, of technology to support the interactions between patients and clinicians. So, you know, all of last year, we had somewhere in the uh, neighborhood of 7,000 telehealth visits. In two months, we had over 25,000. And what that's done is it's, I think, forced a level of adaptation for our clinicians to really understand how do they best utilize this and how do, I, how do we have the appropriate technology and how do we integrate that technology into our other technologies like the electronic medical record. But it's also, I think, completely changed the expectations uh, of consumers, of patients, and what they'll uh, expect to see. And of course, that was facilitated by changes in uh, by the payers, whether it was governmental or commercial. Uh, they provided much more parity in terms of the payment for those, because we're still using an individual's, a, a professional uh, physician's time. We want we wanted to make sure that the, that is uh, compensated fairly. And uh, to their credit, the payers have universally stepped up uh, and really address that. So the other thing that's probably, as long as we're on the topic of innovation, I have to call out, um, you know, because of our affiliation and partnership with the University of Minnesota, we've been a world leader uh, in clinical trials. Uh, whether it was, uh, you know, one of the few actually randomized uh, controlled studies for hydrochloroquine, uh, which demonstrated little or no effect, um, or uh, a randomized clinical trial for remdesivir, which showed effect, and now combo trials of remdesivir with other uh, drugs. All of that's been driven by innovation at the university that has been, uh, I think, really highlighted the advantages of uh, what we can do together. And especially when we combine that with our hospital, our COVID specialty hospital at Bethesda, we really built that with research uh, at the ground floor to make sure that we're fully leveraging uh, that uh, intensity of practice that was at Bethesda. James, this is Kate. I'd like to ask another question on innovation. It seems that the key component to your innovation and your success in addressing this crisis has been the ability to move quickly. What was the single biggest barrier to moving quickly prior to COVID? It's funny. I was having this conversation with a group of my uh, leaders yesterday about culture, and uh, they were uh, talking about the, the culture that's come out of the, the work with COVID. I think healthcare is uniquely engineered in many ways uh, to respond well to crisis, whether that's clinically or operationally. And that external force that really translates into kind of life and death circumstances 
Uh, it has just been a source of pride for me to watch our clinicians, our operational leaders, the support functions, whether it's finance or IT or others, come together with clarity, uh, with a single-minded focus around what we do to be able to care for these patients as uh, effectively as possible. And again, I think our outcomes have demonstrated that we've done that quite well. Um, the challenge is always in any organization is if you don't have that external threat, how do you continue to drive that level of innovation? And I think to our credit, uh, the credit of uh, many of my leaders, they really started to engineer some of the changes that were part of the incident command center kind of structure where we bring everybody together uh, and eventually that became uh, together virtually. But to be able to quickly bring the relevant information, the relevant resources, and make decisions and enact those decisions quickly and now start to replicate that into the fabric of the organization. Thank you, James. Um, COVID has had a ripple effect on other implications way beyond the virus. The economy, for example, is certainly one. But I know that you've identified mental health as one that we really need to keep a close eye on as another impact uh, that COVID could have on people. Can you talk more about this? Thanks for asking that question, because I, it is one of the things that certainly has concerned me and concerned our organization. You know, the, the literature is pretty clear about... Um, the effects of isolation on senior citizens, right? The, if you're older, you're isolated, uh, your health expectancy, uh, your quality of life uh, are reduced. And with this kind of broad-based effect of all of us finding, uh, you know, uh, spending many more hours than we're used to, uh, isolated, uh, at home, maybe through these kind of mediated conversations via technology, but it doesn't replace that human contact. So we've done a number of things to try to provide resources. Uh, and we were already, you know, I think a mental health leader for uh, care uh, in the upper Midwest. We have more uh, inpatient uh, uh, beds for mental health than any other provider. Uh, we have a very extensive network and capabilities, but we've continued to challenge ourselves around how do we think about this from a, a telehealth perspective? Uh, how do we think about the establishment of uh, empath units? And an empath unit is, um, let me back up just a second. A lot of mental health ends up being provided, unfortunately, in our EDs. Uh, you know, people are having issues, uh, they need access, and the ED is the easiest access point. Unfortunately, our EDs aren't uh, well-equipped to be able to handle significant mental health issues, and they end up being uh, admitted into our hospitals. Um, often those admissions are inappropriate if we had the right resources. And the idea of an empath unit is really to create, and it's, it's a derivative of empathic, right? That these units are really engineered to be able to uh, serve those patients well. Uh, so we've continued to do things like that, establish those kinds of capabilities within our system uh, to be able to serve our, our patients. Uh, we've also looked at how do we uh, interact from you know, all of the other touch points we have, whether it's within, uh, we're a leader in uh, senior care housing, our Ebenezer subsidiary. So how do we connect with our seniors through uh, the, uh, the work that we do through Ebenezer uh, and the support of those communities or our home health units? And as we're visiting, how do we make sure that we're thinking about uh, the mental health issues uh, as well as the other kind of uh, physical health issues that might have been the reason for the visit itself. 
James, what do you think the post-COVID world will look like? <laughs> Thanks, Kate. The, yep. uh, the new normal question. Uh, you know, I think any of us who pretend to know the future at this point uh, are only fooling ourselves. I think we've exposed some of the challenges of how our healthcare uh, ecosystem, if you will, has been constructed. And I think the conversations and the very slow moves towards value-based care uh, are going to by necessity speed up. We have to get much better about thinking around not just, you know, what are, what are the activities of healthcare, but how do we really focus on the healthcare status and uh, deal with social risks, deal with preventative issues in a more effective way, do a better job of creating systems of care that keep people from falling through the cracks, if you will, of uh, our care delivery systems. There are so many opportunities for us to build off of what are tremendous capabilities in our healthcare systems, but uh, that haven't really been oriented towards uh, healthcare. It's really been uh, oriented much more to sick care. So I think that's one. Uh, You know, I do think the the economic impact of COVID, um, we shut down Uh, almost all of our surgical procedures except emergent procedures. Uh, Almost all of our ambulatory care for a period of two months was shut down. Uh, And while I'm thankful of the the, uh, government's uh, help, we did receive multiple uh, tens of millions of dollars. It basically covered two weeks of our lost revenues. So Healthcare is, a, is also uh, a, while a public need and a, and a critical uh, right, the way that we've constructed in the U.S., it's also a business. And uh, as the, the nuns like to say, no margin, no mission. Uh, so these, this economic impact that's being felt by almost all healthcare organizations across the country will undoubtedly create more moves towards aggregation, uh, you know, larger healthcare organizations, because we also have to be able to figure out how do we be a little bit more self-contained in the next pandemic. And we really did get caught uh, a little flat-footed in terms of having, we assumed this worldwide supply chain would always be there. And suddenly when you cut off uh, supplies from Europe and China, uh, we didn't have Uh, you know, basic equipment that we need to deliver care. We're going to have to think about how do we construct ourselves in a way that makes us uh, a little bit more resilient to the the kinds of uh, impacts that the uh, pandemic can have. If I could just ask you about your supplies today, I know we've been looking into the future and the future of healthcare and implications of COVID, but um, is everybody at Fairview protected? Do they have enough PPE? Do you have enough tests for people that want to walk in and get tested? Are you equipped for all of that? Well, that's a constant uh, process. Uh, You know, we monitor every day where we're at with our PPE. Our number one concern uh, is the healthcare, uh, the safety of our healthcare workers, because if they're not safe, we're not there to be able to take care of our patients. You know, I referenced Bethesda uh, a little bit ago, our COVID specialty hospital. Uh, We just completed a a quick analysis. And during that time where every patient there had COVID, and many of them were very, very sick, so the viral loads were quite high, we only had three healthcare workers who contracted COVID. And uh, we suspect, based on our follow-ups and contact tracing, all of those were community-acquired. So we're able to do the things that we need to do to make sure that we're keeping our 
healthcare workers safe. Now, if I had more masks, uh, we'd use more masks. If I had more uh, sampling materials, whether it's the, the swabs that scare the heck out of people uh, or the test transport media, uh, we could do more testing. The good news is, both from the state's help, uh, I think the governor and Jan Malcolm have done a good job of uh, helping to support the response to this, this pandemic and help support the healthcare organizations that really are on the front line. Uh, our testing capacity has ramped up significantly and continues to do so. The uh, social unrest and the protests that we saw over the last few weeks creates a, a different challenge in terms of how do we make sure that we're doing more asymptomatic testing so that we can make sure that we understand if there's going to be another surge of cases uh, out in front of us. And we are uh, collectively, uh, as healthcare organizations with the state, working to make sure that those volumes are there. But, you know, it is still a very much an active process that we work hard on every day. If I could ask one more follow-up question to that, you just mentioned what we're seeing here that is, um, you know, very relevant to Minnesota. We are seeing protests, we're seeing people together, we're seeing them unifying in a way that they maybe shouldn't have been, uh, but of course, for reasons here, they needed to come together in their grief um, and work towards some other social issues. Um, does M Health Fairview plan on reaching out to um, the communities of color in any different way than they've had to before since the death of George Floyd? Sure, Dan, thank you again for asking the question. It's exactly the right question. And, and you're right, from an infection control perspective, we probably wouldn't have had uh, you know, large congregations of individuals, but from a social justice perspective, uh, totally understand and uh, applaud you know, many of the things that have uh, happened and then uh, subsequent to that then have continued to drive change that I think is necessary. So yes, uh, we are reaching out. We've always been very much a part of the communities we serve, uh, whether that's uh, through our foundation and our community outreach function, addressing uh, food deserts, uh, addressing homeless issues, partnering with Catholic health charities and others. And we continue to uh, look at how do we uh, do those things effectively and expand those. Uh, we are expanding testing into uh, communities to make sure that we can test uh, individuals to make sure that they feel safe and comfortable. And we're also helping to uh, hopefully decrease the spread of any future COVID uh, disease. Um, and the other thing that I think is important uh, is for all of us, you know, in many ways, this is a social justice issue. Right. And the, the kind of social contract that we have with all of our citizenry in the U.S. that it feels compromised at this point, feels like we haven't lived up to that social contract. And uh, as a healthcare organization, we're very much a part of that social contract. Right. That healthcare is not just a service, but it's also a right. So we've kicked off an effort uh, internally also to really examine who we are, what we're about, making sure that we're attending to the needs of those communities, as well as attending to the needs of our uh, employees. You know, we have 34,000 employees. Uh, we are a very diverse organization. Uh, we draw our employees from many of those communities that were affected and have, uh, have spoken so loudly about what needs to change. And so we're also looking at, you know, what do we need to do differently? How do we respond as an organization, as one of the biggest employers in the state of Minnesota, uh, to make sure that we're addressing our responsibilities 
to hold up our end of that social contract. Beautifully said. Thank you. James Hereford, President and CEO of Fairview Health Services. Kate and I want to thank you so much for your honesty and your transparency and sharing with us the innovations that was going on behind the scenes. Uh, We so appreciate your time here on the C-Speak Minnesota podcast. Well, thank you both. It's really been a pleasure. And again, glad to be uh, on the inaugural trip. Pleasure to have you. And Kate Kelly, Regional President of PNC Bank. Very excited about this new project with you. This was our inaugural one. And uh, we cannot wait to chat more here on C-Speak Minnesota, of course, a podcast created by PNC Bank. Well, thank you, Jordana and James. This was a lot of fun and very informative. We look forward to doing more of these type of podcasts with senior leaders in our community. Thank you both.